Welcome to the Open Bible Podcast, a resource of Church of the Open Bible in Swift Current, Saskatchewan. In this episode, Pastor Jay and Pastor Joe conclude the doctrine of the Holy Spirit by discussing the lesser-known ministries of the Holy Spirit and what we can learn from the history of this doctrine. Hello, church and guests. This is Pastor Jay Hines. And Pastor Joe Sorgen. Welcoming you to another episode of the Open Bible Podcast. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. On today's episode, we will be looking at chapters 67 to 68 of Charles Ryrie's book, Basic Theology, which concludes his section on the Holy Spirit. Now, last time we considered the Spirit's primary primary ministry during the church age, so today. And uh, in this episode, we're going to be considering some of his other less known ministries, as well as what we can learn from the history of this doctrine in the church. So let's start just by considering some of these other ministries of the Holy Spirit. Again, some that maybe aren't as prominent in the scriptures, not as well known. And the first would be the teaching ministry of the Holy Spirit. What does the New Testament tell us about that, Joe? Well, uh, Jesus himself says in John chapter 16, he's talking about the, the Holy Spirit who will come and he says that the Spirit will have a role of teaching. He says this, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And so it's pretty clear there that Jesus, when he's talking about the Holy Spirit who will come, uh, it says that when he comes, he will guide you into all truth, meaning he will teach us. And, uh, and I think that's a, a really important thing for us to recognize that the Holy Spirit who's in us teaches us as well. It, it teaches us about Christ. It, it shows us uh, the revelation of Christ himself, not, not separate from the, the word of God, which uh, as we've talked about in previous episodes, we know is completely sufficient. Um, but we know that the Holy Spirit in us helps us interpret the scriptures and teaches us from the scriptures. It's all on the basis of, of God's uh, word. And that's why as believers, there's things that we can understand in scripture that people who don't have the Holy Spirit within them, they simply can't understand because the Holy Spirit guides us and teaches us as we uh, look in in the word and really just teaches us more about himself, more about Christ, more about God the Father, and even more about ourselves, I would, I would contend as well. And it's interesting to note that it says here that all this teaching that the Holy Spirit does in verse 14 says, is to the glory of Christ himself. Jesus says, he will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And as a result of him declaring these things to us of who Christ is, Christ receives glory. And I think that's actually something we're going to see through all of these things, that ultimately it's all about uh, the glory going to God. And that's part of how the Spirit works in our lives, so that we might glorify God and that the Spirit himself might uh, give glory back to himself, back to God. Mm -hmm. And that connection you made between the Holy Spirit's teaching ministry and the scriptures is important, especially with this passage, because we would say the primary application is to the apostles he's talking mm -hmm. to. He's going to bring to mind uh, all that he taught and then also teach them new truths uh, as the apostles who then would write the New Testament scriptures, which we have. He's talking first and foremost to them. And of course, that was necessary because Jesus obviously didn't teach a whole lot about the significance of his death and resurrection because it hadn't happened yet. And so uh, the significance of that, how that fleshes out the beginning of the church, um, 
uh, more truth about the end of history, the end times as well. All of that the Holy Spirit was going to give after Jesus ascended to the apostles, who then would have this uh, written inspired by the Spirit in Scripture, which we now have, and the Holy Spirit then teaches us through that Scripture uh, as well. And and there's another name for this too, uh, which we call the illumination of the mm-hmm. Holy Spirit, uh, which again, I like how you said it. There's, there's truths in Scripture that um, the natural person cannot understand apart from the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit uh, upon faith and the Holy Spirit comes and indwells in us and then starts to teach us, illuminate so that scripture becomes true. And we see that in 1 Corinthians 2, uh, verse 10 says, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit, so that a person which is in him, so also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we've received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. It's the spirit who does that in us. Uh, Before we move on, there's one other passage that I think is significant, and that's 1 John 2, that also talks about this teaching ministry. And it uses a slightly different word that is often misunderstood and misused today, and that is the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Uh, In 1 John 2, verses 18 to 27, John is warning about false teachers and particularly those who uh, teach error in the spirit of the Antichrist. And he's talking about how we can discern who these false teachers are. And in uh, chapter, sorry, yeah, chapter two, verse 20 says, but you have been anointed by the Holy One and you all have knowledge. Now it's interesting. He doesn't say some have been anointed. He says, you have all, everyone who this is written to. And that's important because sometimes today, this idea of the anointing of the Holy Spirit is used as some kind of special endowment of the Holy Spirit that's given to special people, you know, when hands are laid on, that sort of thing. Or sometimes we even hear about, uh, sometimes people say, well, preachers, they're really anointed by the Holy Spirit. And that's just not a New Testament use of that word. Yes, in the Old Testament, the word anointed was used, uh, in different ways, talking about the anointing of, uh, for example, kings as a as a way physically anointed, often with oil as a, an expression of God's uh, special presence and uh, appointment of their role and empowerment. But in the New Testament, this is the only time it's used, and it's used of the teaching of the Holy Spirit, and specifically the discernment of the Holy Spirit. As we go on to read, as he's warning about these false teachers, He says in verse 26 and 27, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you, but the anointing that you received from him abides in you. That's, as he said in verse 20, that's the Holy Spirit. And you have no need that anyone should teach you. Now, of course, he doesn't mean there's no need of teachers in any situation. Uh, We see in in Romans uh, 12, 7, for example, that that's a gift that God has given uh, the church, that Jesus has given the church, or in Ephesians 4, 11, he's given teachers as well. This means in, in, when it comes ultimately to discerning false teaching, we have the Holy Spirit who uh, is, is also uh, sufficient to help us to discern false teaching, uh, but also with the gifts of teachers too. And he says, but as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is not a lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. So the Holy Spirit is, this is so helpful. The Holy Spirit is given to us to help us to be able to discern false teachers from true teachers and, and truth from error, which is, is significant. Uh, there's continues today to be much false teaching. And it's, it's helpful to know that, yes, God has given us gifted teachers and pastors who can help us in that. 
But ultimately, we need to rely on the Holy Spirit. Because, I, you know, I've always told people, um, don't, you know, I mean, I am seeking uh, to my best ability with the help of the Holy Spirit and with the help of training and other teachers to be teaching the truth of God's word. But even me, you know, listen with discernment and make sure that you are asking the Holy Spirit to show you that whoever is teaching, whether that is your own pastor or whether, especially if it's maybe your favorite teacher on the internet who you don't actually know personally and doesn't know you, um, ask for discernment to make sure that you're not being deceived by false teaching. Yeah, with uh, with the youth, actually, just yesterday, we were talking about uh, Jesus' command, um, specifically during the end times, but it certainly applies mm-hmm. in all times, to not be led astray. And uh, in my small group, we were talking about that, and mm-hmm. we, it was brought up about the role of the Holy Spirit in that, because, you know, we have to depend and rely on the Holy Spirit who helps us, again, illuminate God's word so we know what is true and what is false, because we don't want to be led astray by false teachings like John is talking about there in 1 John chapter 2. And so we rely on the Spirit who gives us that that good teaching and good guidance as we seek Him through the Word of God. Yeah, and sometimes I've heard people say that, you know, they were listening to some, you know, internet or TV preacher and they were like, oh, they kind of like this guy. And then they said, after a while though, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't name exactly what the false teaching was or, or the specific error, but I just had this sense that something's not right. What do you think? And then I say, yeah, you know what? Here, let's look at this. This clearly is false teaching. Look at this does not line up with scripture. They couldn't discern that specifically themselves, but the spirit, they just had this unsettled feeling that, you know, this doesn't just seem right. And, and I think that's a good example of yeah, that. For sure. Well, that takes us to the next uh, ministry of the Holy Spirit today, another one, which is the guiding of the Holy Spirit. What does the New Testament tell us about that? Well, there's one verse specifically that would uh, would name this very clearly in Romans chapter 8. And if you happen to follow along with your Bible when you listen to the podcast, you're probably just want to get a, keep your finger in Romans 8. Mm-hmm. We'll be back there a few times yet. But this is what it says in Romans chapter 8, verse 14. It says, for all who are led, or some translations say guided, by the Spirit of God are sons of God. And so clearly there we see that the Holy Spirit guides those who are children of God, are sons of God. And this isn't the only place where this is uh, is talked about in the Bible. Uh, we see it especially in the book of Acts. And one instance that really jumps out to me is in Acts, I believe it's Acts chapter 16, what's called the Macedonian call. Mm-hmm. And so uh, Paul and the others he's traveling with want to go to a certain area, but but they're forbidden by the Holy Spirit, it says, to, to go there. And Paul has a dream and, and ends up having a vision as well of, of where they're supposed to go. And that's all through the Spirit. The Spirit is leading and the Spirit is guiding them in a, in a different direction. And obviously that was a huge help to Paul. And the, the amazing thing is, you know, the Spirit still guides us today as children of God as well. Maybe not in the same way. We're not necessarily having visions and dreams all the time. And Paul wasn't having that all the time either. The Spirit often guided him in very normal, regular ways that we wouldn't really think twice about. But I think it's a a huge comfort to us when we remember that the Holy Spirit guides us in our day-to-day life. You know, are you considering maybe a move? Uh, Well, seek seek God. Seek the Spirit. He'll lead you. He'll he'll guide you. Are you considering, um, you know, maybe a, a change of occupation or something like that? Well, Seek God, seek the Spirit, He'll guide you. And as you're walking through the day-to-day life, whatever decisions have to be made or anything like that, I think this is a huge comfort, recognizing that the Holy Spirit guides us 
it means we never have to walk alone. You know, I, I'm sure many of you have heard that old poem, like footprints in the sand, right? Like when things get hard, Jesus is carrying us and there's only that one set of footprints. And it's, it's nice and all, but the thing is, you know, the Bible actually talks about the spirit who guides us um, and, and is in front of us. Yeah, things get hard and God does help us along through the Holy Spirit. He, he's guiding us. And I think that also just helps in general with uncertainty that we might be feeling. Uh, just seek God, seek the Spirit, and He will lead us and He will guide us. Just like He led Paul uh, to, uh, it's not like it was a bad thing where Paul wanted to go. It wasn't. Mm. It, it would have been a good thing, but it was a much better thing for Paul to listen to the Spirit and to go into Macedonia. And there ended up being a, a huge mess of people that came to know Christ, you know, the, the church in Philippi, the church, church in Thessalonica, that's all in Macedonia there. And uh, that's a result of um, of the Spirit leading Paul. The reason we have those books of the Bible to the Thessalonians and to the Philippians is because Paul was led by the Spirit and he obeyed where the Spirit was leading him to go. So I think this is just a very important thing uh, for us to remember and to realize that the Spirit leads and guides us, even in our day-to-day -day lives. Mm -hmm. And a question people will often ask, in fact, a lady just asked me this yesterday, is how do I know if the direction I'm sensing is from the Holy Spirit? And again, the easiest and most simple and most important answer to that is, well, does it line up with Scripture? Now, of course, Scripture doesn't tell us what job we should take, who we should marry, you know, those sorts of things. Uh, but it does give us general principles that can and help can help us. So this person had asked, you know, I feel like maybe God is at, is leading me to move to this place. And I just said, well, one really obvious question to ask is, okay, if it is the Spirit, um, the Spirit would want me to, above all things, be uh, obeying God's commands. And the great commands are to love God and love my neighbor. So would this move increase my ability to love God and love my neighbor? I mean, it's just one example. And so that way we can let the scriptures then also be the guide. And, you know, people often ask, well, how does, how do those two things work? The sort of subjective inner leading of the spirit and the objective outer leading of scripture. And uh, it is really just bringing those two things together in reliance on God. Uh, but I've often thought of it kind of like a ship. I mean, if you're sailing a ship, you on the one hand want to be yielding yourself and open to the movement of the wind in order to push you forward and, and empower you. And so you put up the sails, right? And the wind starts propelling you forward and uh, to some extent leading you, right? And yet you also uh, have the rudder, right? And you you can direct the boat. And I would say, in a sense, uh, when the wind is the Holy Spirit propelling us forward, pushing us in, in one direction or another. And yet the rudder is scripture. We still want to make sure that where the wind is taking us to make sure that is the spirit. Uh, we're guiding it also by scripture. So those two things are never against mm -hmm. each other. They always go together, scripture and the spirit. And uh, yeah, that, that's, I think, uh, something we really need to be considering as well. Uh, now, in, in the passage you mentioned there, uh, verse 14 of, of Romans 8, it's interesting, actually, because it says, all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. So in a sense, when we experience that leading, it is it helps our assurance to know we're sons of God. And that takes us to the next ministry of the Holy Spirit, uh, which is the assurance of the Holy Spirit, the assuring ministry that we see in the New Testament. And we see that just a little bit later, more clearly in verse 16. Yeah, in verse 16 of Romans 8, it says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. It, aff it affirms to us 
it assures us that yeah we are children of god that that's part of the spirit's work and uh and that's of course as would be implied by assurance it's reassuring it should reassure us to know hey i'm a child of god and that's part of the role of the holy spirit who is in us to reassure us of that fact yeah and it's it's important to recognize too because i mean we talked about assurance of salvation a few episodes mm -hmm. ago there are these two aspects. There is the most important, which is the objective assurance we have that is based on the promises of God made to us. So, you know, one would just be if we flip up to uh, chapter eight, verse one, where it says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That is an objective promise we can bank on. No matter how we're feeling, no matter what we're experiencing, and no matter what kind of doubts we might have within us, outside of us, is this and a thousand more promises. If we are in Christ through faith in him, then we uh, there's no longer any condemnation. We're justified. We're saved. We have eternal life. We are redeemed. We're reconciled to God. That is an objective fact, an objective promise we can cling to. And that's where that's the, the primary foundation of our assurance of salvation. But there is also a supplementary subjective assurance that we have. And there's, there's different uh, ways we can have this. But one is that inner testimony of the Holy Spirit uh, that we can't completely explain. But it's essentially this inner sense that, yes, I know I belong to God. I know I'm a child of God, not just because of these promises, but within my soul, there is just this assurance, this, this sense of, yes, I am a child of God. And so both of those are important. So that's another work of the Holy Spirit that is... Uh, that is really helpful. Now, another one, which again is something that isn't quite as well known, and but nevertheless very important and and very practically helpful, mm -hmm. is the praying ministry of the Holy Spirit that we see in the New Testament. Just a little bit later on in chapter eight, twenty six to twenty seven. Yeah, we read this there. It says, "Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words." And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And uh, and that's that's a pretty pretty amazing little passage there, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, especially if we consider our our prayer life as individual Christians, uh, I, I'm sure all of you at home have probably felt similarly at times while you're while you've been praying. Uh, times come where it's just like I don't even know how or what or why to pray hardly and i'll be honest for me uh recently something that's come up that's been like that there the conflict between uh russia and ukraine i mean mm -hmm. sometimes i'm just like i don't even know i'm not sure what to pray about this yeah. well these verses should be a huge huge help and because maybe i don't know exactly what to pray but i just bring the situation before god and this this says in my weakness in my times where i'm not sure what to pray we, we, I don't know how to pray as I ought to, as it says in verse 26, the spirit himself intercedes for me with, with groanings too deep for words. The spirit is interceding. And it goes on in verse 27 to say that the, this intercession that's happening by the spirit is according to the will of God, which makes sense. Of course, if, if the spirit himself is interceding, is, is praying, is making these groanings for us as we pray, of course, it's going to be according to the will of God. But that's just amazing, mm -hmm. you know, to know for a fact that if we don't know how to pray and the Holy Spirit is, is interceding for us on our behalf before the Father, that those prayers that are, are, are going 
before the Father are uh, 100% according to his will because it's God himself who's praying them. Mm. Uh, I don't know. I just think that that's just really, really uh, amazing. And uh, and it's so helpful because all of us have weaknesses in our in our prayer life. You know, I don't think any one of us will ever get to the point where it's like, my prayer life has attained, like I've attained perfection in my prayer life. It's not going to happen. And that's why these verses are are so so much of a comfort just to know, yeah, I won't get there. I have this weakness, um, but yet I know that the Spirit will intercede for me, that the Spirit will uh, will bring prayers before our Father in heaven. And that's, that's an amazing truth. Mm-hmm. It's so comforting to know when other Christians are praying for you. You know, they tell you or praying mm-hmm. for you and you're going through a difficult time or, you know, text you or whatever. But to know that, oh, wait a minute, as, as amazing and helpful and comforting as that is, the Holy Spirit is is interceding, is praying for me constantly at the throne of grace. So is Christ, we know from Hebrews as well. Uh, that is, is a great, great comfort. But also, I think it's really helpful to know that uh, the, that idea of, of the groanings, like we're not, Paul doesn't exactly explain what's going on there, what that's about. But we do know that when we are in situations, and, and many of you have maybe been in those, where you are uh, at the lowest valley, you're in pain, you, you're experiencing great loss, you're suffering. And there's those moments where either you don't know what to pray or you just can't pray. You're so weak. You're, you're so low. You're so overcome with grief. And all you can do is cry. All you can do is mm-hmm. groan. And then sometimes people say, that's all I can do. I, I just can't get myself to pray. I think this passage tells us, well, if those cries and groans are directed towards God, that is prayer. Yeah. And the Holy Spirit can take those groans and cries. And even though you can't formulate what exactly they mean, what exactly you're trying to say to God or ask for, the Holy Spirit is taking those and uh, and giving them to the Father. You might almost say cleaning them up in a sense and, and bringing, here, here's what your child who is in so much pain and is groaning and crying, here's what they need. Here's what they're asking for, even though they don't even know it that sort of thing. So I just encourage you, if you've been in that situation, don't feel like you're groaning and you're crying out um, is somehow not prayer. It is if it's directed Mm -hmm. to God and the Psalms are a perfect example of that. So, and again, that's according to God's, God's will, Mm -hmm. which I just think that's uh, the most amazing thing about that. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. Well, there's one more ministry of the Holy Spirit. That's his sanctifying work in our lives. And of course, God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all involved in this, but the Holy Spirit is especially. And then when we think about our sanctification, that means our our growth in holiness, it's our being set apart from sin for service to God. Uh, There's this positional holiness that we have the moment we put our faith in Jesus, and that is that we are now saints. We've been separated positionally from our old life uh, of sin and of being enemies to God to now being reconciled to God. And uh, we see that in uh, 2 Corinthians 2.13, but we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit, 
and belief in the truth. So the moment we believe the gospel, we're sanctified in that sense. We're now saints positionally before God forever. But then there's this other progressive sanctification, which is our actual experience of that, where we actually start to grow uh, more holy and, and, and are seeing uh, real separation from sin in our lives. And that's a, a lifelong pursuit. And that is something that the Holy Spirit specifically uh, is involved in too. In fact, the, most of the teaching in the New Testament about this work uh, has to do specifically with the Holy Spirit. Probably the most well-known is Galatians 5 verse 16, which says, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And then later on, it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, that is that this that he bears in our lives when we walk by him, the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And so that is a, a work of the Holy Spirit in us. And, and there's that key again of walking by the Spirit. What does that mean? Well, essentially, it just means relying, yielding ourselves to the Spirit's work in our lives. I, I found it helpful to think of these three D's of the way of, of thinking about this. Uh, it's dedication. It's being completely dedicated to the Holy Spirit and his indwelling in us saying, Holy Spirit, you have my life, like take full control of my life. Very similar to the filling of the Holy Spirit. But then it's also dependence. It's recognizing, as it says here, I can do nothing uh, on my own spirit. I cannot overcome the desires of the flesh, but I'm going to rely on you by faith uh, to do this work in me. And then third is diligence. It's then by the Spirit's power doing the things that the Spirit tells us to do for our sanctification in Scripture, uh, like being in the Word of God, which is able to equip us for every good work, uh, being in fellowship with other believers in which we can encourage one another to love and good deeds and other uh, spiritual disciplines as well, all through the Spirit's work in our lives. That's really what it means to walk by the Spirit. I've often used this example of training a child how to walk and we would do this. You put them on your feet and hold their hands and they actually have to walk. They have to take steps and yet we're the one who are guiding them. They have to rely completely on us and be dedicated to going and doing what we uh, want them to do. And that's how they would learn to walk and grow. Same thing with us and the spirit. Yeah. And, uh, and I think it's really key for us to, to know and to remember that, to remember that it's the spirit's work who, um, you know, helps us be removed from sin when we're walking by the spirit and, uh, and makes us more and more like Christ. And there's a verse here in second Corinthians chapter three, that I think really points to this fact that the spirit is making, is transforming us into Christ likeness. It says this, it says, uh, and we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. So it's making it very clear there, the, the spirit of the Lord, the, the Holy Spirit is transforming us. We are being transformed into the image of Christ from one degree of glory to another. It's this sanctification process that the Holy Spirit is doing in us, which happens as we walk by the spirit, which again, you can read about clearly in, in Galatians chapter five. And, uh, and that's just an amazing thing. As we, as we walk by the spirit and we, uh, produce the fruit of the spirit and all these things, we are growing in Christ likeness. And this will continue throughout our lives until one day we are sanctified in our, what might be called our final sanctification, mm -hmm. which will happen in heaven when we will have attained, uh, 
perfection. We, we will have been sanctified again by the Holy Spirit uh, in us. And, uh, and we can grow in that here on earth, but we can also look forward to that final work that will happen one day in heaven. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, let's just conclude quick with uh, just a few thoughts on the history of the doctrine of the Holy Spirit in the church. Ryrie talks about that in the chapter. And mostly what he's dealing with is um, some of the heresies that have ar- arisen where either the personality or deity of the Holy Spirit was denied or lessened. And we kind of talked about that a while ago, so we won't go there. But rather, we just wanted to close by just mentioning uh, maybe more recently in the last century, especially, uh, we've seen these two extremes that really don't seem to be biblical that that we need to recognize. One is um, almost completely ignoring the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. right? And so people grow up in churches, well, I heard a lot about God the Father and especially Jesus, but I just never really heard much about the Holy Spirit. I mean, what what is the Holy Spirit and why are we afraid to talk about the Holy Spirit and all these ministries? But then you have the other extreme, often a reaction where it seems like it's an over emphasis on the Holy Spirit, where that's all you ever hear about. It's the Holy Spirit this, Holy Spirit that. Whereas the biblical balance, of course, is that the Holy Spirit is one member of the triune God. And so we need to know about him. We need to know about these ministries. But one thing that helps us balance it all out is that while we want to focus on the Holy Spirit and what he does, as you mentioned before in John 16, 14, Jesus says, he will glorify me or he will take what is mine and declare to you. So ultimately the test of, are we having a proper balance with uh, how much we emphasize the Holy Spirit and focus on him and, and learn about him and his work is, um, well, are we ultimately glorifying Jesus Christ? Because the Holy Spirit ultimately is going to point us to Christ. So really, a Christ-centered church will be uh, a, a church that has the Holy Spirit in its in his proper place. Anything you want to add to that? Well, I think the same thing is kind of stated in Ephesians 5 as well, which we did talk mm. about last time. But it says to be filled with the Spirit, right? Mm-hmm. And then right after that, it talks about giving glory to God, praising Him, singing songs to Him, giving thanks uh, for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so again, it ultimately comes back to uh, the glory going to God and being centered on the person of Jesus Christ. Yeah, if we're a Trinitarian church who focuses on God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we'll we'll have that proper balance. And yet at the end, Christ will be be centered. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And really, I think it's important for us to recognize how important it is to focus on the Trinity, not just for this reason, but I've just been doing some thinking about this recently, like just thinking about the songs we sing, how many of them have a robust Trinitarian theology in them? Very few, uh, especially newer songs. Um, Very few tend to have the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, this proper understanding of that there. And so uh, it's tough because rightly, probably most songs focus on Jesus because really good songs are going to focus on the gospel. That's great. But I really think that's one area where we need to have more Trinitarian uh, teaching in our, in our singing, but then also our praying too, and all this, because it is just easy for us as Christians to just fall into sort of just talking about God in some generic way and recognizing, but what makes us distinct as Christians is that we believe God is one person, uh, one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that's absolutely essential to who God is and to who we are. And one benefit of that is I think if we focus properly in the Trinity, then we'll have a balance mm-hmm. and the Holy Spirit will not be uh, absent in our understanding of who God is in our Christian life, uh, but also won't be wrongly overemphasized either. So yeah, it wouldn't fall in either ditch. Yeah. Just a thought. Mm-hmm.
Well, I think that's where we'll end today. Join us next time when we will be discussing chapters 69 to 70 in the book, which will begin Ryrie's discussion on the doctrine of the church or ecclesiology. Until then, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit abide with you now and forever. See ya. So long.